0: Hello, and welcome to From the Ground Up with Mark Weller. I'm Matt Rienzo. Joining me is my good friend, founding partner and president of Weller Development Company, Mark Weller. Mark, how are we feeling today? Couldn't be better, Matt. It's an awesome day. we got a great guest today. I'm so fired up for today's podcast. I know you are, too. Uh, David Manfredi. He's a legend in architecture, design, master planning, and just generally real estate in general. Um, I think people are going to just love hearing from him. Elkus Manfredi Architects uh, is the firm from which uh, David founded, and it's a full service design firm providing architecture, master planning, urban design, interior architecture, historic preservation, space planning, on and on and on. They do a lot. Um, They specialize in mixed use placemaking that fosters community and creative innovation. And that's why it's so pertinent that we're having them on today. Uh, from the Grove in Los Angeles to Boston's revitalized Fenway neighborhood, the Lambeau Field Project, uh, Boston Landing, the Broad Institute of MIT and Harvard. David's firm's projects are so impactful and inventive and inclusive and sustainable. So, Mark, before we patch him in, what are your impressions of David and and why are you excited to have him on?
1: Well, it's it's a great question, Matt. And I'll tell you. The main reason uh, I got to know David so well was through another friend of ours. And I heard some really great things about a mutual friend of ours by the name of Ralph Cox, who's out of Boston, and told me some incredible things about David and what he had done. And then after getting to know David a little bit, there was a couple things after the first meeting that struck me as really remarkable. The first one was he did one of the most, uh, I think, iconic um, real estate projects on the West Coast, which is the Grove, which combines an incredible shopping experiential center uh, that is, uh, is is centered in uh, in uh, Los Angeles area uh, around an existing farmer's market. And the two put together create an unbelievable retail experience like nothing you've ever seen. So in that same conversation, the same first meeting, I realized he'd also done the renovation of Lambeau Field. And, you know, Lambeau Field has always been something amazing to me. I mean, that's and,
0: an iconic sports location, no doubt.
1: That's right. in it's history and so on, and I just found that fascinating. And and after getting to know him on both things, you just don't meet many master planning architects at this level that are working on varying projects of that interest, um, of that levels of success and and those levels of interest uh, very often. And I was just blown away at his attention to detail, his attention to storytelling, and his attention to really capturing what should be captured in in a design around a master plan in architecture and so from that moment forward i said how do we get involved and how do we work with you and uh, i was lucky enough to be able to work with them, and i've been working with them now for many years and it's been uh, a lot of success and a lot of fun
0: we're thrilled to welcome david manfredi to the show david welcome
2: well thank you delighted to be here and and uh, join you guys
0: we're so happy to be speaking to you on this podcast because obviously we've all worked together for several years in the Port Covington project, but I want to uh, take a step back and just talk about your overall uh, career and, and some of the work that you've done. Um, the mission of your company on your website, it says, is to create common ground that brings people and communities together. That really hits home with us, what we're doing in Port Covington. Can you talk a little bit about how this model uh, permeates into every project that you take on?
2: Well, it it really is our mission statement. Um, I think that as planners and architects, um, we can create those places um, when we're mindful, when it's when we're purposeful. Uh, we have the ability to create places that um, are are welcoming, are open, are accessible um, to, to the widest population possible. Um, and and that represents a kind of um, social equity uh, that um, when we make places that invite people um, you invite interaction uh, and uh, that can be across uh, public spaces in, in urban environments it can be across um, commercial spaces in terms of science and technology um, it can be across it can be Using in integrating retail into the hearts of cities um, that that take advantage of, of public realm. If there's one thing that we are most, I think we're most proud of, but also um, that's most important to us is the diversity of our work in terms of building types. Um, we don't we don't specialize in a building type. We do a lot of different kind of work for a lot of different kinds of kinds of clients. We work for developers like you, um, but we work for the universities. We work for um, um, corporate entities. uh, We work for, um, uh, we do a lot of work in the science and technology sector. And what, what, what they all have in common is that they are better places. They are better work or play or study environments for being more inclusive. And that's kind of um, the path we've followed over the last 33 years.
1: David, uh, this is Mark. I, you know, I've always been such a big fan of yours, long before I got to know you. And then as I got to know you, I became, you know, sort of an even bigger, a bigger sort of, uh, I would say, fan of your architecture, your work, the diversity of it, and so on. And, you know, I, I think what, you know, we, we never spent a lot of time on, other than what you and I have gone and done some fun things with we the being pot one year together up in Boston and stuff like that. It's just hearing about your beginnings and how you got started and, and, and where you are today. Because I think there's so many young folks out there and just people that find our industry interesting.
2: So um, Elkis Manfredi Architects is 33 years old, as of um, a couple of months ago. Um, my partner, Howard Elkis, and I started the firm in 1988. We had worked together uh, for a number of years in another firm, a very good firm, um, that uh, we, where we were very happy. But it really was... Uh, next chapter in our lives um, it was the opportunity to um, you know, set your own standards and, and set your own direction uh, and, and um, build a firm to pursue those things that you were most interested in and um, I'll tell you and some people people who have known us for 33 years remind us of this every once in a while we started the firm, we said our goal is to be 30 people uh, and uh our mission statement from day one was to do the best work uh, with the best people, uh, with the best clients and the best colleagues uh, to um, be appropriately rewarded and always have fun. Um, Well, that's still our mission statement, but um, the firm is about 250 people. Uh, We do work around the country and occasionally internationally, um, but um, that's largely because what you learn over time is that, uh, you can, hopefully, um, you need to attract talent. Uh you need to, to attract talent with, that share your values, uh, in terms of what we just talked about in terms of, uh, what, what's important to us in the work that we do and that, um, you really can, you can do a lot of things and, and so it's been 33 you know, remarkable years with new opportunities and things to do in different places. And we've seen, um, well, you know, one, one of the things I think was always true about our firm is that most of our work, not all of it, but most of our work is urban. Um, and, and and I guess that goes to the the... Uh, our desire to think about how things intersect and how uses are integrated, and um, you know, if you think about the renaissance of American cities over the last 33 years, um, we we certainly didn't we certainly didn't know everything that was coming, but um, I think that it positioned us very well as we got involved in different kinds of planning projects. We got involved in a lot of mixed use. We got involved in cities where you do have this kind of um, jumble almost, this mix um, that makes, that enlivens the, the, um, the place, the streetscape, um, the diversity of uses and users. Uh, and um, we've become great advocates for the sustainability of the urban model as a way that's that's very positive for our environment i think it's very positive for how we work and we live uh in a very social environment
0: let's dive into some of your signature projects david um we mentioned in the open several of them the grove lambeau field and uh, those are two that mark and i and i know are specifically uh just enamored with um but what are some of you, the more fun, you know, meaningful, impactful projects in your mind? I know that's kind of like picking your favorite child, but uh, what are your thoughts on some of those awesome projects you've worked on and and uh, how they relate to other projects that are coming uh, online in the United States now?
2: We've done a lot of planning work, as you know, um, like at Port Carvington, but uh, in different parts of the country, and, and we've done planning work uh, in different parts of the world. We've done a lot of work with the Walt Disney Company, uh, working with them in, in Anaheim and Orlando primarily, but also uh, in Paris and, and uh, uh, in Shanghai, uh, and uh, a relationship that we uh, enjoy to this day. We've been working together for more than 20 years. Uh, and, and those are really about planning the environment outside of the berm, um, Meaning the the, uh, the mixed use kinds of environments outside the berm, working with their teams uh, internally, which are incredibly creative. Walt um, me, Imagineering that brings uh, extraordinary resources to, to everything you do, and that's kind of on on one side in the world of kind of retail dining and entertainment, and obviously again a kind of environment that brings a wide diversity of people together. But we've also spent a lot of time over the last I'm going to say decade and more of um, of working, planning, and designing buildings in innovation districts. And what I mean by that is places like Kendall Square in uh, Cambridge around MIT where there is this incredible um, confluence of large-scale biopharmaceutical companies that want to be as close to MIT research as possible, all the way down uh, to startups, accelerators, um, the, the companies in between, uh, that creates this kind of ecosystem of ideas. And um, what, of course, we've all learned is that the science um, gets accelerated by that environment, that mixed-use environment, that street level of, of uh, publicly accessible spaces, whether they're green spaces or they're restaurants or they're assembly spaces of different kinds, it's all ways of, of um, uh, creating casual collisions. And we've been involved working for the institutions, um, the institutional research and for MIT directly for the developers who are developing these life science buildings all around, um, and for the tenants, uh, including some of those Fortune 100 life science companies. Uh, and we're very much into the science as well as uh, into creating these kinds of environments that um, um, that really they don't happen everywhere. They happen where there's a really important anchor. We're working now in Houston at the Texas Medical Center uh, and uh, have planned and are now building out the first several buildings for something called TMC 3. And TMC is obviously Texas Medical Center. 3 is the third coast, uh, meaning much of this life science research today is happening uh, in Boston, Cambridge, or on the west coast, um, anywhere from Seattle to, to, uh, to San Diego in San francisco uh and Houston with its incredible density of uh clinical health care uh is um about to become the third coast meaning where uh clinical medicine uh, and discovery um, marries to the um the commercial side of the industry that is the 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 product um that that comes to the to the individual the marriage of uh, the big institutions the big institutional research um the life science companies the, the biopharmaceutical companies uh and and all of the all of the parts and pieces in between it truly when it works uh and it doesn't always work but when it does work in places like Cambridge and San Diego and and now Houston uh it's because it's an ecosystem because it is not just big institutions, big biopharmaceutical, It's startups. Um, it's new businesses. It's um, uh, the, the, the integration of academic research and commercial research. Um, the integration of clinical research and the data that comes from patients um, directly uh, to the to the um, life science research. And uh, we're we're invigorated by all of that. Again, it goes to uh, how do you. How do you use design? How do you use um, planning in a way that can support the kind of um, collaboration, connectivity, uh, flexibility uh, that uh, can make spaces that are as agile as the sciences? And I think what we've seen in the past year is the science, um, the talent can produce new science at an incredible speed when the, the... the need is most urgent, we want to create those places that um, that foster that kind of acceleration that can be a catalyst.
3: Hey, David, that's uh, that's a very, very uh, thought-out answer, and it's uh, there's so much behind what you're doing. It's incredible. Every time I sit down with you, I learn something. As you look back at PC and the work that you've done there, and it's starting to all come to fruition now, uh, what are you most proud of, or what sticks out? And
2: what's most remarkable about it? Well, on, on the on the highest level I think that um everybody involved has has um uh maintained their, their mission statement, maintained their value statement, um that it would be mixed use, that it would be um, environmentally at the at the highest levels of sustainability, that there would be important open space and that that um that you would invest significantly in recovering that important waterfront. Um, you know, these projects are really hard and um they're hard to launch, they're hard in their first phases, there's so much infrastructure um that you sometimes see all sorts of compromise. Um I think what's what's um what I'm most proud of for everybody is that um you're 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 building out the vision. Uh, And that vision includes real environmental responsibility with regard to the waterfront, a real commitment to open space, uh, a real commitment to scale and walkability and that mix of use. So, um, you know, these projects are long-term commitments like Port Covington. um, They they require a lot of of patience um, until you hit those different tipping points um, and you know they're often you know 10 20 year projects uh, depending on what ha- what's happening in the world around you uh, but the payoff is so big uh, in terms of um, you you're not you're not making buildings you're, you're making community you're building neighborhoods uh, and I that's to me that's um, uh, that's the most rewarding thing
0: that's really interesting and certainly f- you know, falls in line with the rest of your ethos um, and your mission. Um, So as you look at Port Covington now, I don't know if you've seen it lately, but there's five cranes in the air there. We've uh, we're working on 1.1 million square feet um, of mixed use delivering in late 22 into 2023, you know, as as a leader of this project and the lead architect uh, on the master planning side, how does it feel to see it? finally, you know, we had the topping off event last week. And how does it, how does it feel to have created envisioned something and then see it actually built and then people living in it uh, a couple of years down the road after that, it's gotta be a fascinating process to be involved in.
2: Well, it's, it's fantastic. I mean, that's, that's why you're an architect. I mean, that's why I'm an architect. That's why um, you, you, you do what you do. Um, it is about, um, we love the work, but we also love the, tangible, um, part of it, uh, when, when it gets built, um, you know, the design process is often, um, circuitous, there's all sorts of, of, uh, hurdles along the way. Uh, but when you actually see it get built, um, when you actually walk the streets and, uh, it's, um, you know, it's incredibly rewarding and, and uh, it, 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 it makes all of the uh, overcoming all the hurdles worthwhile. Uh, and you know, it's a big part of, of why we do this. Uh, we love, we love to, to, to walk the projects. Um, you know, I, I spend, uh, Saturday mornings, um, here in Boston, I spend visiting our local projects and most of the time I just, I'm just sneaking in and, and, uh, uh, to see what they've done and, and what it looks like and no meeting, no, no, uh, no client. Um, because that's really uh, the rewarding part
0: of what we do. Absolutely. Uh, and I think that definitely resonates with all of us and, and many of the people listening today. Um, one thing that we're trying to do on this podcast is, you know, have a, a, an atmosphere where young folks trying to break into the industry can can learn something. And uh, obviously you've got a career's worth of information to pass on. Um, just one little tidbit of advice, if, when it comes to urban redevelopment and rebuilding communities, what's your best piece of advice for a young person who's trying to break in and they're trying to be part of this? It seems like a bit of a movement uh, in the way that you're doing it and the way that we're approaching Port Covington. What's your advice for somebody who's young, who's trying to get into this field and how they should view it? Well,
2: um, I'll give you, uh, I'll give you the, the, the simple direct answer uh, and then maybe uh, explain a little bit but um, I think you got to be brave uh, because um, it's it's easier to follow the the paths that are more well-worn um, and I think you also got to work hard as, as you guys know um, these kinds of projects are are uh, are harder um, they are um, they they require lots of skill sets, they require lots of collaboration, um, they are of long duration, so they require lots of of uh persistence or uh, uh I have a client who says um uh, uh you must have a sense of relentless urgency. Um and I and I think that's true. Um I would say I would also say this, this is my elaboration. Um there's an awful lot to learn. Uh, and you never stop learning and you learn by looking around the world, um, at some of the great places around the world and asking yourself, why do I love being there? You know, why do I go to these places when I can go anywhere? Um, and if I love them, because I love walking those streets because I love, um, the, the environment on that university campus. I love the energy when I when I'm in Kendall Square in, in Cambridge, it just kind of bristles with with science and ideas. Um, so learn, learn from places, learn from people, uh, uh, learn from what's, you know, oftentimes what we do is
0: we don't really
2: invent, we rediscover. Um, we look at context, we look at the history of place, we go back to to try to understand um uh what brought this what brought people together on this place once and how did it disappear. You know, one of the great one of the things that's happening in in the in our country today is that um we discovered that the federal highway system uh created a lot of highways through uh different American cities. Um Boston it was the central artery. Um in, in San Francisco it was the the, I don't even remember the name of it, but it was the waterfront uh raised highway uh along the piers. Uh in in Baltimore, you know, it's the, the interstate that separates us from the rest of the city. And so what was that neighborhood before that interstate came? Um what was the what were the connections? And well in some cases like Boston we we buried the central artery and San Francisco's brought everything back down to grade. In some cases you've got to figure out all right, it's there it's going to stay there, but how do I reconnect um how do I go onto that highway as you guys have been thinking about for years uh, how do I connect myself back into the city so that we're not we're not a series of isolated neighborhoods
0: uh, but we're,
2: we're we're one city you know there's a great lesson I, not too long ago uh, reread the biography of Frederick Wall Homestead, who designed the Emerald Necklace here in Boston and, and some of the great park spaces um, around the country. And and he writes about the Emerald Necklace, and he says uh, the importance of open space in, in the city of Boston. And we're talking about the Emerald Necklace being designed in the uh, late 1800s. And he's talking about the importance of open space in cities. And number one is, is the kind of palliative effect Um that it's fresh air, and boy, have we discovered that, the meaning of that in the last last 18 months. Um, but the second is, he talks about it in terms of of open space, in terms of um, bringing um, different people together. And what he meant was a space like Franklin Park in Boston is surrounded by four different neighborhoods. And if you look at the history of who lived in those four neighborhoods, um, in in the time he was designing the space there's ethnic diversity and and he thought about open space as a way that you bring people together um for for play uh for health um for a a walk on a sunday for a, a kite fair for a festival of some kind for sporting events um there's a golf course at franklin park um and and uh you know, I go back to that all the time. Um, we plan. Um, if you look at what your your really big goals are, and then how do we plan to achieve those goals? So that's a long winded answer. To
3: that is a very good answer. And Homestead had so many. Every city has something uh, something remarkable from from him. And then we, we have some communities and things that were done in, uh, in Baltimore as well. You yeah. so, know, so Dan. Switching gears once again, I, I do that a lot on this uh, on this podcast because we, there's, there's so much, so many things to talk about. But there's something going on right now, and uh, COVID, and yeah. you know, it has a reeling effect on everybody across you know, our industry and just across the country, affecting everybody's lives in such um, incredible and, uh, ways that no one had ever considered. Uh, what do you think the lasting effects are in cities and master planning in general? You know i i
2: know i know i can count on you for a thoughtful answer uh and i just wanted to hear what your thoughts were on that well i'll start with um i, I truly believe in the power of cities and and while one one immediate effect of covid is you've seen a certain out migration from cities um because of the density and the fear of the the health effects of density I do believe that the advantages of the city prevail uh, over time. Um, I believe in science um, and and I believe in talent. Um, But I do think that uh, it does does have an impact in the value we put on open space. Um, The value that we put on on creating safe places for everybody. And what I mean by safe places is... um, you, you know, one of the great friction points uh, in, in our, our best cities is transit. Um, we've got to we've got to invest in transit. We've got to make transit work, and we've got to make it safe. We've Got to make it um, um, work for the most disadvantaged in the city because we know that transit connects the jobs, and and jobs connects the home ownership and stability, and in all of those things. Um, I hope that long-term the impact is a little bit of reordering of our values, but I don't think that it, I don't think that it diminishes, as I say, the power of the city. Um, The city is about, the cities are about bringing people together um, and, and diverse populations together um, to, to, to push our culture forward, um, to make places that, um, like I say, where people come together, uh, where we we do great things, where the, the arts are, where where the cultural institutions are, where the great universities are, um, and then there's a whole other conversation about how it changes the workplace, uh, which um, uh, we're still very much in the in the middle of of figuring that one all
0: out. We could probably talk about this topic for hours in and of itself. Exactly. Um, I mean, it's exactly. such a, uh, you know, obviously current affairs and, and very, it's filled with so much emotion as well for people. Uh, when We're still in the middle of it. So um, we appreciate that, that insight. I think the moral of the story from your perspective is that cities aren't going away. You know, this is a little bit of a rethinking of how they work, but generally speaking, the, the city life is here to stay.
2: still in a transition phase we're probably still going to go through more transitions uh we're heading into winter all of those kinds of things but um long term um the cities are powerful uh they are they are the places where innovation thrives um we can build um you know greater greater equity um across all people and so um uh, i i believe in cities and and uh um, I live in one. I work in one. I work in lots
0: of them. Uh, and so I, I'm, I'm, I'm invested. Well, that's great. And and we always like to end this podcast on a high note. And um, certainly a lot of really interesting topics we've covered. And thank you for your time, because I know you're exceptionally busy. And to get you know this amount of time from you is, is awesome. So thank you. And I know that our listeners are going to be thrilled as well. So ending on that high note, we do a, a segment every every time that Talks about the rising tide, lifting all boats. We call it our rising tide moment. It's rising tide moment. For you, what's an example of this? Something that happened in your life or your community or or within one of your developments that uh, really is a rising tide moment for you?
2: I've been involved for many years um, in Boston uh, with um, St. Anthony's Shrine. And St. Anthony's is... um, um, it's a, it's an urban church in, here in Boston on Arch street. It's run by the Franciscan friars. Um, they have a, a home here. There's about, I don't know. I'm going to say there's 20 or 25 friars and residents. And what they, do for the most disadvantaged people in the city is absolutely remarkable. Um, they run, uh, a food bank, uh, that no, no one ever gets turned away. Um, they run a, uh additionally recovery center. They work, run a women's health clinic for the homeless women in the city and, and the health care of, of those women. They, they run a program called Lazarus, uh, where, um, they bury abandoned babies and homeless people who have no known family. Uh, they have a funeral mass and they, and they provide the burial and it goes on and on and on. And, um, I'm really honored that um, um, this isn't about me, but I'm really honored that they are that they are honoring me this year. So I'm not, I, I, when I say it's it's uh, front of mind, it's because I'm um, I'm spending so much time raising money for this this event they're having.
0: Sounds like you might be preparing a speech soon too.
2: Uh, well, there's a speech somewhere in my future. But you know, it's it's. Um, you know, they have people, their staff, um, that literally goes out into the common, goes into the streets at night and and finds homeless people that need help. Whether it's simple healthcare, uh, whether it's addiction issues, um, whether it's mental health issues. And boy, what the work they do is so inspiring. Uh, And look, this kind of, this kind of work goes on in, in every American city and we really, Need to to, um, to celebrate the people, but also support them because um, they make it a better city to live in. They take advantage of the the the, the people that are most disadvantaged, um, and and they make safer places for us all. And uh, I'm inspired by them, and, and uh, I guess my uh, my call would be
0: uh, find the one,
2: find the St. Anthony in. in And wherever you live and and support
0: them that's an awesome call to action i know there's a group that we work closely with in baltimore called city of refuge who does a lot of similar things and uh, that is an incredible call to action if you're listening and and find the organization in your hometown in your home city and just get involved you know volunteer your time volunteer your money and i think uh it goes a long way to helping a lot of people so that's a great message to end on david thank you and Thank you so much for joining the podcast today. Again, I know you're really busy and uh, for you to impart some of that wisdom on our listeners and on us uh, is really incredible. And you've been a great person to get to know and a great person to work with for our entire team over the years. So we're just uh, thankful and honored that you joined us today. So thanks very much.
2: Uh, thank you for the invitation. It's always great to talk to you guys.
0: So that's going to do it for us today. What an incredible conversation with David Manfredi of Elkis Manfredi Architects a true architectural legend uh, and a legend in real estate in general. Uh, In our next episode, we'll continue to feature real estate industry experts. And if you have a topic or a guest recommendation, drop us a line and we'll definitely consider it. You can hit us up on social media at Weller Development on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. And if you're enjoying the podcast, be sure to rate the show and tell your peers and your friends that they can find From the Ground Up with Mark Weller on all major podcast directories. I'm Matt Rienzo, and he's Mark Weller. Keep building, people.